Faith hey, family, I want to say hello to those that are live in you as well. All of you, if you have a Bible, would you please turn to John chapter 15. John 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series that we just called I Am, looking at the I Am statements about Jesus. And uh, this morning we're going to look at I Am the True Vine. Next week we'll finish the series as we look at I Am the Resurrection and the Life. Speaking of next week, uh, with it be an Easter weekend, uh, we do want to encourage you, if you're able, uh, to come on Saturday night, uh, if you could sacrifice in that way. We're offering two services. I know you've already heard this, but I want to remind you again because the ch- times have changed. Um, we're offering two services, one at 4.30 and one at 6 o'clock, 4.30 and 6 o'clock on Saturday night. And if you could come to that, I mean, last year I think we had like 3,500 people or more on Easter weekend, so we may push 4,000, who knows, uh, this year, and so we we really need to open up some seats uh, on Sunday morning for a lot of guests and visitors. And so, if you could do that, that would be great. Uh, but just pray about that. Uh, look at your schedule, talk to your family, and see if that's something that you could uh, could do for us. Then after Easter, we're going to be starting a new series. You've already seen the promo for that, uh, the Book of Ruth. Uh, how many of you know people, or maybe you're one of these people that are just searching for hope? You know, like when you look at the political climate and so many different things that you see around you right now, there's a lot of people that are really looking for something to give them hope. Well, the book of Ruth is really going to show us where hope is found, how our life can have hope restored uh, when times are difficult or challenging. And so that's going to be post-Easter. I'm really, really excited about that. That's an awesome uh, book in the Old Testament. And so we'll do that uh, after Easter. So this morning, let's finish with our I Am Uh, chapter 15, and um, wow, I may get excited over this one. No, I mean, seriously. If if we could really get this, it will change the way you think about the Christian life. In fact, my prayer is that there's going to be some light bulbs go off this morning, and it's going to cause you to think about the Christian life in a totally different way. All right, so let's get to work. John 15, if you can stand, please do so. So we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm absolutely convinced that these are the very words of God. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Pray with me. Father, thank you for um, this time together. It's really important that we gather together for worship, that we spend time in your word. We, we need to think rightly 
about the Christian life. We need to be assured that we are Christians. That we are followers of Christ. And so my prayer, Holy Spirit, is that you would come and make that clear to us. Help us think rightly about our life. And help us think rightly about the Christian life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. His palms were so sweaty that the paper in his hand was clinging to his skin. Sam was um, a nervous wreck. He knew if he could get away with it, he'd be rich. He knew if he didn't, he'd likely go to prison. And so he paced back and forth and back and forth in the back of that grocery store. Back by the frozen food area. Trying to build up the courage to go through with it. And this wasn't a spontaneous decision for Sam. It was something that he had contemplated for a while. You see, he was tired of struggling financially, always trying to make ends meet, never able to get ahead, never able to get that that house or that car that he always wanted. He was sick and tired of it, and he was ready to do something about it. And so he kept talking that over and over to himself until finally he decided, I'm going to do it. And he walked down that long grocery store aisle and he walked up to the cashier. Her response at first was confusion. She didn't quite understand what was going on. And that confusion then quickly turned to a sense of fear. As Sam began to rage, he became angry. He started throwing things because she wouldn't give him what he asked for. The store manager immediately stepped in and the cops were called and Sam's worst nightmare became true. He was arrested. His crime? It's not what you're thinking. Sam did not pull out a gun on that cashier. Sam did not try to steal the money out of the cash register. According to the Pittsburgh police... Samuel Porter tried to pay for his groceries with a million-dollar bill. Somewhere, somehow, Sam had this scam idea that he could pay for just a few groceries with fake money and then get real money in return. It totally made sense to him. And he thought, I'm not even making this up, this is true. Like He thought, the more money I pay with, the more money I'll get in return, so why not go with a million dollar bill? But what Sam didn't consider was A, the likelihood that a grocery store is going to have chains for a million dollars. Two, The fact that if you pay with a million dollar bill, you're probably going to cause some attention. And most importantly, there's no such thing as a million dollar bill. Now, most of us wouldn't fall for that kind of a scam. Most of us would know right away that that's fake, that's counterfeit, and we wouldn't believe it. But yet, all of us are around situations all the time 
where people are putting forward as real what's actually fake. And it may be simple when it comes to a million-dollar bill, but there are other things that aren't as easy to discern. That There are people, for instance, who have fake IDs, and they try to present themselves as somebody they're not. Somebody may try to sell you fake sunglasses and you can't really tell, or maybe fake diamonds, or maybe fake tennis shoes. You see, for instance, people with fake hair. That's, that's, that's wrong. That's not a political statement. It's just funny. It's just funny, all right? You're offered. <laughs> oh, that sound was an email in my inbox. Um, there's fake food where people offer, you know, they present something that's very different than what you actually get. I bet all of you have received that fake email from somebody in a different country who asked you to send them money. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. <laughs> I shared with you several months ago about a Chinese zoo that dressed up a dog to try to look like a lion. <laughs> the point is, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to put forward something as real when it's not. It happens all the time. And so the question is, how do you know? How do you know when something's real or not? How do you know when something's authentic or not? And it's one thing when that's a situation of fake IDs or food or tennis shoes. It's a completely different level when you're trying to discern whether or not you are a real disciple or a fake one. Is somebody really in Jesus or not. That can be very difficult to discern, and it's why we have John 15. Because this is what Jesus teaches. Now, we're not going to parachute in to John 15 without understanding the context that's leading up to this because there's an ongoing conversation happening with Jesus and the disciples that leads to John 15 that actually sets up this conversation of authentic disciples. Let's go back. John 13. Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples. If you're with me, say yes. Do you remember what happens at the end of that meal? Jesus brings out a basin of water and he washes the disciples' feet and they are shocked. They're not shocked that someone would wash another person's feet. They're shocked that the greatest in the room would wash the feet of the least. And it's such a special moment that Jesus shares with his disciples and then he takes all the air right out of the room because he says there's somebody in this room that's going to betray me. And all of a sudden, this debate breaks out. Is it I? Is it I? What about him? Maybe it's you. And then the identity of the betrayer is revealed. It is Judas. And Judas gets out of Dodge. 
He goes to get ready to do what he'd been planning to do. And then Jesus, don't forget that. That is absolutely important. And I'll refer to it again in just a moment. Then Jesus takes the rest of his disciples and they start making their way. They don't know this yet, but eventually they're going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere along the way, they either go by or stop in a vineyard, which would have been extremely common in this landscape uh, during this time. And it's there that Jesus teaches the rest of those disciples what it means to be authentic. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now you got to stay with me this morning because I'm building towards something and we got to get it in the right order. Jesus starts here in this vineyard and he looks around and he says, you see, look, I am the true vine. Now why does Jesus say that? Is he looking for like a good illustration for his sermon? You know, like, you know, we'll find it. I'm like a stone or no, look at that tree. I'm like a tree. Why does he say I am the true vine? I've got to give you a little bit of background here because if you go back to the Old Testament, that terminology is used all the time specifically about the nation of Israel. If you're with me, say yes. yes. Israel was considered God's vineyard. In fact, it was so interwoven with the nation, it would be a lot like our stars and stripes or, the, or our eagle. Right? You think about that imagery, you think America. When you thought vineyard, you thought Israel. It was on their coins. It was put on plaques, put above the door. There was even a golden vineyard in the temple. Israel was the vineyard of God. Why? Because if you wanted to be a part of the people of God, you had to come through Israel. God gave them the law. God gave them the prophets. They had the priests. They had the sacrifices. If you wanted to be a part of the true people of God, you had to come through his vineyard. There was just one problem. It's a big problem. It's a big hairy problem. It's the fact that Israel repeatedly rebelled against God. And so the Old Testament refers to Israel, you still with me, as a fruitless vineyard. A vineyard that is not producing what it should produce. Let me give you one example of this. We could take time and look at several, but we won't. Isaiah 5, beginning at verse 1, says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. This is his people. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it. He cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat for it. In other words, he did everything for this vineyard. He gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the sacrificial seed. He gave them everything they needed. And yet, it yielded wild grapes. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I've not done in it? When I look for it, it yield wild grapes. Why did, I, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be devoured. And I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. This is so important. Please tell me you're still with me. The reason why Israel was a bad vineyard is because at the core of the vine was sin. It's dead. 
It's spiritually dead. And that's why it's a fruitless vineyard because at the core of Israel is the same thing that's at the core of us. Namely, spiritual death because of sin against God. Now the implications of that are huge. Please listen. You can be moral. Obey laws. You can offer God sacrifices like songs and money and good deeds. You can listen to His Word through the prophets who preach, thus saith the Lord, and still be spiritually dead. Why? Because at the very core of your life is sin. Which means you're going to have to look somewhere else for spiritual life. And it's in that context, this is, I'm, I'm literally may come off the stage, so get ready, all right? You got me? Sweet. Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. What does he mean? As simply as I can put it, there is no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. Period. Spiritual life begins and ends with Jesus. Why? Because there's life in that vine. All other vines are dead. But Jesus is the true vine, which means spiritual life, being an authentic follower of Christ, starts with union with Christ. Hear me, dear friends. This is why some of you, and I'm not trying to make you doubt unless you need to doubt, but my feeling is that some of you may need to doubt because you're wondering why there's never been any growth. You're wondering why there's no vitality in your spiritual life at all. The reality may very well be you're not connected to Jesus. Can we be honest about that? You're at church. You grew up in a Christian home. This is all you've ever known. But nothing has happened in you. And that's where authentic faith begins. You can yoga all you want until you have inner peace. You can meditate till you levitate. You can pray five times a day and then some. But you have no spiritual life outside of Christ. And this has been the pattern in John, hasn't it? Because what have we been seeing as he's recording Jesus' teaching right here? You must be born again. The water that I offer you will, will cause to well up in you a spring of life. The bread that I offer you, it's the bread of life. I am the true vine, meaning Christianity is not turning over a new leaf. Christianity is becoming a new creation. That's where authentic spiritual life begins. Follow the flow. Then how do I know? How do I know if I have real, real spiritual life? How do I know if I'm connected to Jesus? Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The, the flow of thought is simple in this sense. 
Jesus is the true vine. He's where spiritual life begins. If you're with me, say yes. yes. Three of you now. All right? If he's the true source of spiritual life, then how do I know if I have spiritual life? You bear fruit. You bear fruit. In fact, according to Jesus, there's only two categories. You're either fruit-bearing or you're non-fruit-bearing. And authentic faith, authentic disciples bear fruit. In fact, notice that the distinguishing mark of a disciple is fruit. Look at verse 8 of chapter 15. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so what? Prove to be my disciple. In other words, no fruit, no disciple. The evidence of spiritual life in the vine is fruit. Number two, fruit is the ongoing lifestyle of an authentic disciple. In other words, you don't have to remember this, but the Greek, when it says bear fruit, it's in the present active tense. This is all you need to know. It just means it's an ongoing reality. It doesn't end. You don't say, well, I bore fruit 30 years ago. Does that count? No, because if you're connected to Jesus, you're continuing to bear fruit. And you say, but, but aren't there seasons of life when, when it may be different? Well, yeah, it is. That's why there's point number three. Fruit is produced at varying degrees. So like in verse 2, you have bear fruit and bear more fruit. And by verse 8, you have bear much fruit. Do you see? Bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit. So this means a couple of things. In your life, throughout your journey, you're going to see different levels of bearing fruit throughout the years. And you're going to see different Christians that bear different levels of fruit, right? It's this, you're not in Jesus without bearing fruit. And bearing fruit in an ongoing way, but in varying degrees. And then number four, and this is big, is that fruit is what glorifies God. Fruit is what glorifies God. Verse 8, by this, what's the this? By this my Father is glorified, that... So the this is the that, that you bear much fruit. God, the Father, is glorified in fruit bearing. So, Jesus is true vine. How do you know if you're connected to him? You bear fruit. Because it's the distinguishing mark of a believer. It's ongoing. It's varying degrees. And it's what glorifies God. I got a question. What is fruit? And I'm not talking about a banana or apple. What's fruit? I mean, give me a moment. Let me calm down. Um, <laughs> if fruit is the distinguishing mark of the believer, then wouldn't it be very important to know what it is? I mean, is it, is it sharing your faith? Is it doing good works? Is it making disciples? Is it, you know, some other Christian lingo that we might use or biblical terminology? What is fruit? Now, um, what I'm going to say the next few moments is where the light bulb could get turned on in terms of how you think about the Christian life. So I want you to follow me. What is it? Now, you got to understand, again, this is a continuing conversation. When Jesus says that bearing fruit brings glory to the Father, you need to realize He has just said something a few moments earlier that they would have had in mind. Look at chapter 14, verse 13. Chapter 14, verse 13. 
whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father, here's that terminology, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Question, who's doing the action? You or Jesus? Jesus is. You ask in my name, this I will do. Not I'll give you the power to do or um, I will allow you to do. It's you ask in my name and I will do. For what purpose? So that, in order that, the Father will be glorified. Right here, right here. What is it that brings the Father glory? Answer, the life of the Son. Jesus does it. Why? So that God gets the glory. It's fruit, chapter 15, that brings God glory. So what is fruit. Please tell me you're with me. Oh, mercy. This is where it gets good. Fruit is the life of Jesus in you being lived out through you. And it doesn't that make sense of the metaphor? Don't think theologically for a moment. Think farming. Why this is going to get real deep. Why are there apples on a branch? Because the branch is attached to an apple tree. It's deep, baby. I got a PhD for this, all right? I mean, there's an apple on the branch because the branch is attached to an apple tree. You take that branch and attach it to a peach tree, what's coming out on the branch? Peaches. You take that branch and attach it to a lemon tree, what's coming out on the branch? Lemons. Why? Fruit is nothing more than the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. Woohoo! Meaning, I'm getting excited. It means this. Christianity is not about you being better. Christianity is about Jesus, who's already the best, living through you. Man, how many burnout Christians do we have that are trying to, I gotta be better, gotta be a better Christian, gotta be a better husband, gotta be a better whatever. And it's not about you doing good works It's about Jesus doing his work through your life. That I can't tell you how many people have come up to me this week and saying, that changes everything. It changes everything. And what it means is this. It means you can't be connected to Jesus without starting to become like Jesus. That is authentic discipleship. It is real Christianity. The life of the vine being squeezed out in the branch. He is the true vine. How do you know if you're connected to Him? Because you bear fruit. What is fruit? It's His life coming out of you. It's why Paul says the fruit of the Spirit. Do you think he just plucked that out of nowhere? No, he's referring to this imagery. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, on and on all the characteristics of Jesus. Now, I need to take about a two-minute detour. 
Because I'm not going to ignore what is a very controversial phrase in this text. By the way, there's going to be meat left on the bone this morning. Uh, th- there are things in this passage I just don't have time to cover. I wish they'd let me preach two hours. They just won't let me, all right? Single tier. Um, but there is one thing I have to address because there are some that will take verse 2a to say that you can be a genuine Christian and then lose that salvation. Nowhere, as far as I'm concerned, does the Bible teach that, so let me address this issue. Let's read it and see if you see why on the surface people would take it that way. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And ultimately, if you keep reading, we know that he, that experiences judgment. They're thrown into the fire and burned. So this is a judgment thing. Um, so what is it? First of all, you need to understand, just based on what I've talked about, what Christianity is. Christianity is not making a decision and then later on changing your mind. Christianity is you become a new creation. So we're talking about a situation where you're saying, I become a new creation, and then I no longer become that creature, that creation anymore. Nowhere is that taught in Scripture. But let me just stay within the book of John so that we're keeping it all in the right context. I'm going to go fast, so hang with me. Number one, John has repeatedly tried to show you the difference between a superficial faith and a genuine faith. Examples, John 2 They believe in the signs that Jesus performed, but Jesus does not give himself to them because he knows it's not genuine belief. It's verse 22 and 23 of John 2. John 6, do you remember this from last week? They see the miracle of the fish and the loaves, and they're like, awesome guy to have around at lunchtime. Let's follow him. And Jesus rebukes them. Why? Because they don't want a king. They don't want a savior. They want a chef. They want someone who will feed them again tomorrow. And they do not have genuine faith. You see it again in John chapter 8. My point is, over and over, John is trying to show you that there is a superficial, external kind of belief. And then there is genuine life change where you are born again. Number two is... If this is a genuine believer, in verse 2, then you're actually saying something about the vine, not the branch. Look at verse 16 of chapter 15. Just another minute. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, you may, he may give it to you. In other words, this is going to happen. The point is, if you're saying that the branch is a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus that doesn't bear fruit, the issue is not with the branch. The issue is the vine is dead. Because as the, branch, as the vine goes, so goes the branch. Jesus is the true vine. And even if you put all that aside, here's the one last thing. Context, context, context. It's why I set it up a few moments ago. What has just happened? Judas has just left to go and betray, and now Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. In other words, Judas has the appearance of a disciple, but the heart of a deceiver. 
That is what's going on in John 15. I'll summarize it with this quote, and then we'll move to the final point. J.C. Ryle says this, There are myriads of professing Christians in every church whose union with Christ is only outward and formal. Some of them are joined to Christ by baptism and church membership. Some go further and are regular attendees and talkers about religion. But they all lack one thing needful. Notwithstanding services, sermons, and sacrament, they have no grace in their heart, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. They are not one with Christ and Christ in them. Their union with Him is not real. They have a reputation of being alive. But before God, they are dead. That is John 15 too. Now let me come back to the final point I want to make this morning. It is another light bulb moment. Let's follow the flow of the text. You with me? Say yes. yes. Venue, you with me? All right, I heard it, all right? <laughs> Jesus is the true vine. It's where spiritual life starts. How do you know if you're in Him? Because you produce fruit. What is fruit? It's the life of the vine being pressed out in yours. So then here's the final question. Well, then how do, how do we produce that? How does, how does this work? I mean, maybe we'll just try this. Um, all right, Jesus, produce fruit in me. Ready, set, go. It, it takes a while with me, Okay. Okay, if that doesn't work, how about, how about we're all really fired up and we're going to go out today and we're going to bear fruit for God. You ready? I mean, isn't that what a lot of Christians think? I mean, let's bear fruit for God. I mean, because if we don't bear fruit for God, we're not showing that we are actually His. So let's go do it. It's the bear fruit campaign. Ready? Let's go. It's interesting in John 15 that while fruit is the evidence of the authentic disciple, it's not the focus. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You just said that the distinguishing mark of a true disciple is bearing fruit, and now you're telling me that a disciple is not to be concerned about fruit? How can I not be concerned about fruit? Hear me. Don't. Focus your life on bearing fruit. This is confusing. There is only one command in John 15. One command mentioned ten times in twelve verses. Verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the only command in those verses. Abide in me. It's in the aorist active tense, which just simply means that it's our responsibility. It's our focus. It's what we're putting our attention towards. Abiding is 
It's the aggressive pursuit of Jesus. Let's stay within the metaphor. It's the vine absorbed. I'm sorry, it's the branch absorbed in the vine. It is pursuing Jesus. It is running after Jesus. It's studying about Jesus. It's worshiping Jesus. It's praying to Jesus, meaning this is huge. The preoccupation of the Christian life is not bearing fruit. It's Jesus. What we're consumed in, what we're thinking about is not how am I going to bear fruit for God, but how am I going to pursue Christ? And it's in pursuing Christ that His life then gets squeezed out of us. Please tell me you see that. That is Christian life changing. Because rather than having a big smile and sad eyes because you're on the treadmill of good works trying to do your best to be a fruit-bearing Christian, no wonder you're born out. You aren't meant to bear fruit. You're meant to abide. And in abiding, Jesus will squeeze fruit, His life, out of you. Let, let me see if I can give you an example and see if this will help. Okay? You with me? Love your spouse. Um, that's hard. Like, I don't, I don't know how to love that way. I mean, anybody, can anybody relate? Don't point or elbow, all right? But, but like, man, I, I'm told to love, but that's really hard for me to do. But hey, I'm supposed to love, so I'm just, here you go, honey. I'd love you as much as I can. Or you could run after Jesus and pursue Jesus and worship Jesus and pray to Jesus and study about Jesus. And as you're abiding in Him, a supernatural love that you don't have the power to do gets squeezed out of you and onto your spouse. And all of a sudden, you're loving in a way that you couldn't do for apart from Him, you can do nothing. Forgive. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they've said about me. I can't forgive. I know you can't forgive. But what you can do is abide in Jesus and run after Jesus and pursue Jesus and love Jesus and worship Jesus. And in doing that, a supernatural forgiveness that He has given you gets squeezed out of your life where you forgive somebody that you never thought you'd be able to. Do you see how this changes everything? That all the bearing fruit, the things of the life of Christ that we can't do for apart from Him, we can do nothing, we aren't focused on anymore. We're focused on one thing the vine and abiding in the vine and then all those things will come as he conforms us into his very image that truth will set you free because some of you and, and they've come up to me this morning so tired because they focused all their life on good works. It's His works in you as you go deeper and deeper and deeper in Jesus.
it's just like they, they tell me back home that I've lost my accent. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Because um, you're laughing because you're like, nope, still sounding like a hillbilly to me, right? <laughs> but have you ever noticed when you start hanging around people a lot that they begin to influence you? Right? I hang around Pastor Terry. I just start feeling more feminine. Um, you know, just... just <laughs> I'm going to hear about that one. <laughs> what? But have you ever noticed that? You hang around people and you start talking like they talk. You start acting like they act. There's just something around about being with them that begins to influence you. The problem for a lot of us is it's been a long time since we've just been with Jesus. We've just been with Jesus. And we just abide in Jesus. And we begin to talk different. And we begin to live different. And we begin to bear fruit that we never imagined we could. He is the true vine. If you're in Him, you will bear fruit, namely His life. How? Not by focusing on fruit, but by focusing on Him. That's authentic Christianity. Samuel Porter was not the only person who's ever tried to put forward as real what was actually fake. In fact, he's not the only person whose authenticity was exposed over money. All this comes out of 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Judas. A man who thought he could present himself as real, but he was not connected to the vine. And I imagine like Sam, that he was pacing back and forth and back and forth, all nervous, palm sweaty, trying to muster up the courage to go through with it, and he finally did. He walked right into the garden, and he greeted Jesus with a kiss. Thinking the whole time, they'll never know. But what he didn't consider is that there is no such thing as a counterfeit Christian. You're either real or you're not. Jesus is the true vine. Question is, are you connected? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, wow. Um, how many times we've looked at that passage and yet I, I pray that uh, we see it today. There are some here today that uh, they've never experienced that true life, true spiritual life. They may have religion, they may have a lot of different things, but they're not connected with Jesus. I pray that today would be that day where they would repent and believe. Oh, that today would be that day where they receive new life. There are others in this room that um, they are followers of Christ, but they've been focused on the wrong thing. They've been focused on being better or doing good works rather than focused on you. Your works are enough. And so our heart's passion needs to be for you as we pursue you and love you 
and watch you live your life through us. It is freedom. It is joy. And I pray that we would experience that today. Meet us where we are. Speak to us. Convict us. Conform us to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.